0: That's what we're talking about today. Who is Jesus and how do you define Jesus in your life? And I'm gonna do a series entitled The Questions That Jesus Asked. Questions by Jesus. Before I get to that though, by the way, yesterday, a team from Riverview delivered Loft House number seventy one. Is that working up here? Is that can we get that switch that up here? There it is. All right, good job. All right, there's loft house number seventy one. So given to a family of four, as you know, these families had virtually nothing. And these 71 houses that Riverview Church has built and delivered down to Ensenada have changed the lives of 71 families. So thank you, team, that are involved in that. And we're looking forward to number 72 coming up really soon. We're going to talk about questions by Jesus. Questions Jesus asked. Jesus had a gift of asking probing, penetrating Questions. And this summer we're going to look at some of those questions. So before we get into that, let's talk to Jesus right now about our hearts before him. Lord Jesus, we know you're alive today. That you died on the cross and three days later you rose from the dead. And we know you're right here right now because you are alive and you have all power at your disposal. You're an awesome God. And I pray, uh, Lord, today that our hearts would be open to hear what you have to teach us. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves, to humble ourselves before you. You made us, you created us, and you stamped your image upon us. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, the first question we're going to look at today is this one. Who do you say that I am? This is a question that Jesus asked his disciples. And by the way... It's the most important question you will ever have to answer in your life. I know probably many of you have answered many important questions. Maybe in a job interview, you had uh, questions that were very important. Maybe it was uh, an exam that you had in school that was very important. Maybe it was somebody asking you, will you marry me? Very important question, right? But let me say with all the conviction I can today, there is no question more important than this one. Who do you say Jesus is? Who is he? Because that question, the stakes are very high. It will change your eternity. The bottom line of our talk today is this. Jesus initiates a powerful teaching moment with his disciples regarding the importance of holding a right conviction about who Jesus is and engaging a confused culture with the truth of Christ. All around you, Jesus is being attacked. All around you, Jesus is being diminished and redefined. And people are defining Jesus in ways that he never did and the Bible never does. And I'd like you to open your Bibles right now to Matthew chapter 16. We love having our Bibles open here at Riverview Church. Matthew, the first gospel. If you don't have your Bibles, there should be a Bible nearby. Page 822 in your chair Bibles. As we open up the awesome Word of God. And it informs us about life. So Matthew 16, I'll begin at verse 13. says this. Now Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi and he asked his disciples who do people say that the son of man is it's kind of a family feud question right top five answers are on the board who do people say that I am and the disciples start to answer they said some say John the Baptist others say Elijah others Jeremiah or one of the prophets now all of them were wrong answers All of them were not correct, which only highlights how, even today, all around us are really wrong definitions of who Jesus is. But the Bible clearly tells us who Jesus is. Now, here's the question Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? It's almost as if Jesus is saying, Hey, you're hearing all these people talk about me, they're giving all these wrong answers. What do you say? Who do you say that I am? Now, Simon Peter, right, he replies in the text. See it here. Now, Simon Peter had a reputation for engaging his mouth long before he ever engaged his mind. Amen? That happened a few times in the Bible. Uh, But this time, he hits the nail on the head. He gets exactly the right answer. He says, you are the Christ, which is a Greek word for Messiah, anointed one, the Son of the living God. God. Now remember, all of us as believers in Jesus Christ are children of God. You're a a child of God. You're a son of God. You're a daughter of God. But there's only one being in the entire universe that can be called the son of God. We're all adopted into God's family. But like in John three sixteen, it says the one only begotten. The word in the Greek is monogenēs, the one and only unique Son of God, which speaks directly to the deity of Christ—that He is God. And Jesus answered him, "Blessed are you, Simon Bar Jonah. Bar simply means son, son of Jonah." For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Peter gives this amazing confession. It's well known, right? This is the confession of Peter, and he nails it. He gets it exactly right here's the first thing that we can draw from this text it's really important it's this the convict the content of our faith is vital to salvation what we believe is very important jesus drives that home with this question who do you say that i am you're the christ the son of the living god the content of our faith is very very important what you believe is very important In fact, as a church, we need to hold this truth as the crown jewel of our faith. Because if you deny the deity of Christ, if you deny that he is the Son of God, the Messiah who came to save the world, all of a sudden, all these theological dominoes begin to fall. One after another after another. And you start getting into all these bad, false, wrong beliefs about Jesus. It is all around us all around us, and may we be a church that holds our head high and believes in Jesus and what he clearly taught. It amazes me what people will believe today. It baffles me. It amazes me. I remember uh, one time my family uh, and, and I went to Sedona, Arizona. How many of you have ever been to Sedona, Arizona? Beautiful place, right? The Red Rocks. So beautiful. And we were given this free week at a hotel because we had to go through a two-hour what? Timeshare presentation. I said, hey, I can get a free week at a hotel if I can say no for two hours. And that's exactly what I did. I said no for two hours. And I got a free week. And it was great. We checked into the hotel. It was a beautiful hotel. The woman at the counter said, hey, you and your family might be interested in something that's happening in just a few moments. I said, oh, what's that? She said, we're having a seminar on the vortex that's here in Sedona and the power of the crystals. And I said to her, I definitely want to catch that seminar. I want to hear what people are actually saying about the crystals here in Sedona. And I went there, and I kind of stood in the back, and I left early, I have to be honest. But um, I stood in the back, and I'm listening to what these people are saying, and there are people like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, wow, yeah. And, And saying these things that, really, there are people who actually believe this. And it amazes me that people believe things like that yet reject the fact that there was a real person by the name of Jesus, no real scholar, no real theologian, no real historian would ever deny that there was a man by the name of Jesus who lived on this planet. And virtually all of them will say the one life that impacted this planet more than any other life is that of Jesus. So why would we as a church ever be ashamed of defining him the way the bible clearly does the way that Peter confesses Jesus here you are the Christ the son of a living God you're the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years to come and set the world free from sin you're that anointed one you are God in flesh I like what Jay Oswald Sanders says he's a very loved Christian writer he wrote this the deity of Christ is the key doctrine of the scriptures. Reject it and the Bible becomes a jumble of words without any unifying theme. Accept it and the Bible becomes an intelligible and ordered revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. The reason why accepting the deity of Jesus Christ is so important is that's what the Bible teaches. If you don't accept it, you're going to wonder like, wow, this Bible's all messed up. Because the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was God in flesh. If you reject it, then the reason for Jesus dying on the cross doesn't make sense. If you accept it, you realize that Jesus, as this being of infinite value, remember that everything was created by him, through him, and for him. Amazing power. Awesome power in this person of Jesus. He created everything, yet humbled himself as a little baby boy in Bethlehem, laid down his life on the cross for you and for me. It all makes sense, because Jesus is, like John said, John the Baptist, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It makes sense. For example, if I'm a normal human being, frail and sinful, but let's say I could live a life that was sinless, My life could maybe pay the price for someone else's sin, but only one person. That's the value of my life. But see, when Jesus came, he was God in flesh. And his life had infinite value. That's why when he laid down his life on the cross and willingly allowed himself to be nailed to a piece of wood for you and for me, to set us free from our sin, his life has infinite value as God in flesh. He is infinitely more valuable than I am or any other person on this planet. That's why he is worthy to take the sins of the world upon himself. That's why he's worthy for you to follow him. That's why he's worthy for you to give your life to him. That's why we're here this morning. And my prayer would be that Riverview Church would hold to for hundreds of years to come if the Lord would tarry. For the next 200 years, 300 years, hold to what the Bible and Jesus clearly taught, that he was God in flesh. See, when people deny it, and they do all around us, all of a sudden, all these bad theological dominoes begin to fall. All of a sudden, hey, Jesus isn't worthy to take the sins of the world upon himself. We have to work for it. Wow, Jesus, really good example of dying on the cross. Wow, you took a lot of pain, but you're only a man. So we have to work our way to heaven. We have to earn it, even though the Bible clearly says again and again you can't do that. It's the gift of God. And my prayer would be that all of us here at Riverview Church would rejoice over the gift of God, that we would be amazed at God's gift and grace and mercy to us, that he loved us this much, that he sent his son to die on the cross, and God the Father watching his son nailed to a piece of wood, hanging there for six hours for you and for me. Yesterday, I was at my son's playoff basketball games. He's 13 years old and he's in a league and he had some playoff basketball games. He had three games yesterday. If you won, you went on to the second round. If you won that, you went to the championship round. And in the second round, it was tie game with about about 10 seconds left and our team we're all you know i'm filming the 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 game and on my on my little iphone and they they bring in the ball and my son gets the ball and he dribbles and he gets to about the three point line and he goes up for the shot hopefully to win the game and the ref with one second left calls a foul on the shot so he gets how many foul shots anybody know if you're on the three point line he gets three foul shots And I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be great. He's got to hit one, which he did. He hit two out of three. But, But while the call was made, a dad supporting the other team, and I'm standing there on the bleachers filming about the third row. He's up about the seventh or eighth row. He comes running down the bleachers and stands right next to me and starts yelling all these profanities at the referee as I'm just standing there filming. And attacking my son oh ref you you bailed him out with that call he didn't get fouled he faked the foul he didn't get fouled you and i can't even say the words in church right because you you'd fire me as a pastor he's saying that right next to me and i have my little iphone and i'm holding my iphone and i'm saying to myself pastor mel just be quiet Pastor Mel don't say a word yeah he's attacking your son don't say a word it won't look good in tomorrow's paper Pastor Mel gets in a fight with person at youth basketball game but he's attacking my son and the ref you don't know how hard it is just not do anything but thankfully don't do anything and and think about it God the Father watched his son nailed to a cross for you and for me why? to set us free God's amazing grace And the reality is you're not here at church to work your way to heaven. You're here at church because you love Jesus Christ and this God who loved you all the way to the cross and paid the price for your sins and did exactly what he said he would do. That he would die and three days later rise again from the dead. Which gives his words amazing authority. We've said it here many times and I hope you say it to others who may disagree with what Jesus said. I choose to follow the one that what? Rose again from the dead. Those that contradict Jesus, they will die and stay dead. They will not rise again from the dead. They never have. They never will. Jesus, when he rose from the dead, gave his words amazing authority because he truly did have power over death and he proved it. And Peter's confession is amazing because it's exactly the core of our faith. If you deny that, all of the dominoes begin to fall. You can't Go by God's grace. You have to earn it. Let me give you a kind of a a chart. It's in your notes. You don't have to worry about it. You'll have it all there. Uh, What's the truth? What does the Bible say? Is Jesus God or man? The Bible clearly teaches he's the true God-man. 100% divine. Uh, Galatians puts it this way. All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, the New Testament says. All of it, not partial, but all of it, dwells in bodily form in Jesus, and yet He was 100% human, 100% divine, 100% human, brought together in this miraculous way, in this miraculous person who is worthy to take your sins and mine on the cross. And by faith in that, by coming to a point in your life when you say, Jesus, I believe You died on the cross for me. Forgive my sins. I believe You paid the price for what I did wrong. I invite You into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. To follow you at that moment all your sins are nailed to the cross with christ they're paid for you're adopted into the family of god you become a child of god a son of god a daughter of god a co-inheritor with christ everything jesus has he's going to give to us as his family it's an awesome message that's why it's called good news but the stakes are high Think of what Peter said in Galatians chapter 1. Let me turn there. In Galatians chapter 1, not Peter, Paul. Paul writes Galatians and he says this. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to a different good news. And then he says this. Not that there is another one. There is no other good news, right? Right? All the other messages out there that deny who Jesus is and what he did, it's all fake good news. Amen? It's not the real good news. That's what he's saying here. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. That's happening all around us, folks. There are people distorting the gospel of Christ. this is what he says. Listen to this. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one We preach to you. Let him be what? Accursed. You might say, Paul, did you get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning when you wrote that? No. See, the most loving thing you can do is stick to the truth in love. The most loving thing any one of us can do is stick to the truth in love. Believe me, and I hope you own this truth. You're not doing anyone any favors by telling them a lie. That doesn't help anyone. The most loving thing we can do as a church is back up the words of Jesus who died and rose again and has authority to say it, that this, there's only one way. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. That message, my friends, is so badly distorted. That's why when Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? Hey, as all these people are saying all these wrong things about me, Peter, what do you say? What do you say? One of the dads yesterday at the game, he knows I'm a pastor. I've invited him to this church a number of times. He doesn't come. But he said, oh, I'm out. Hey, What's the theme tomorrow for your message? What's the theme? I said, the theme is the most important question you'll ever be asked in your life. Who do you say Jesus is? He says, oh, wow, okay. I didn't let it go there, right? So I said... By the way, who do you say... Jesus is because it is the most important question of your life. My, my hope would be everyone here would own the answer that Jesus gives in his word that's given time and time again. He is the Christ, the son of the living God, only one like him. John 3, 16, Jesus said, the only begotten son of God. In the Greek, he uses the word monogenes, the only unique, no one else like him, son of God. That's who we believe Jesus is. Who, who was he? The truth. He's the second person of the Trinity, God in flesh, the incarnation of God. He's the Savior of the world for all those who believe in him. What was his purpose? Ultimately, to pay the price for humanity's sin, for my sin, all the things I've done wrong. He would pay the price for me and for you and all those who would come to faith in him. What does Islam say about Jesus. I think it's important to know a basic understanding. They see Jesus as a man, that he was a prophet, much like Muhammad, but Muhammad was superior to Jesus, diminishing the role of Jesus. Jesus' purpose to them is to reveal God's will, but that was best done by Muhammad. In Hinduism, they, the views vary. In Hinduism, there are 33 million deities in Hinduism. I took a course on Hinduism at New York University, a doctoral level course there, all about Hinduism, read many of the works of the Hindu faith. 33 million deities. They don't really have a consensus view about Jesus, but for the most part, they see him as an incarnation of God. One of 33 million. Uh, They they see uh, Jesus as an incarnation of Vishnu, which they regard as a higher deity, Similar to Krishna. You may remember the Beatles song, Hare Krishna. They see Jesus along the same lines as one of their deities, Krishna. And their purpose of Jesus is not addressed really in Hinduism. Just one of 33 million. In Buddhism, Jesus is just a man. They do not have a concept of a personal God like we do. A God that knows you personally. He knows the hairs on your head. He knows the days you will live before you live them. He knows you. Please don't ever think God doesn't know you exist. He knew every day you would live before you ever lived them. That's how personally he knows you. Uh, Buddhism doesn't have that concept. They believe Jesus was an enlightened man. And and he taught things similar to Buddha according to Buddhism. And there's even a question about whether a person named Buddha actually exists or was it just a compilation of many religious leaders that were given the name Buddha. And, And then Jesus' purpose, to teach wisdom. As a way to nirvana, enlightenment. That Jesus just was a man who, who experienced nirvana. What about other groups like Jehovah Witnesses, the JWs? They believe that Jesus was the Archangel Michael, a created being. Who he was was God's first creation. So that goes totally contrary to the Word of God. The, an Archangel, he was the Son, created Son of God. His purpose was to be an example of right living. See, once you diminish Jesus again, those theological dominoes begin to fall. If Jesus isn't worthy to take the sins of the world, you have to earn it. You have to do all these good things. You have to go door to door and tell people about him to earn your way to heaven and do all these other good things. And it destroys the amazing grace of God. Every Easter, I I do that illustration where I give someone a, a free gift. And that's exactly what the Bible calls salvation. It's a free gift. Our faith is a gift from God. And then once I give it to, here's your free gift. Once I give it to the person, I say, well, that'll be $20 for that free gift. Is it a free gift anymore? No, it's not. If I said it's $5, is it a free gift anymore? No, it's not. If I said it's a penny, is it a free gift anymore? No, it's not. See, if you add anything to the grace of God, you destroy the gift. And the Bible says it's a gift. And once you receive it out of gratitude for this God that loved you all the way to the cross, you want to be like Him. You want to live for Him because you know no one else loves you or has done more for you than Jesus Christ. You want to live your life for Him. That's not the teaching of the JWs. Mormons believe that Jesus was a man they believe that he was originally a spirit child like every other human being on the planet. And as you know, their, their theology talks about man progressing to be a God. As man is, their theme is, God once was. As God is, man may become. Jesus is one of those individuals who by obedience attain Godhood. They teach about that Jesus was there to teach about God, to be an example for living. Their view is, if you do all of the important steps of the Mormon faith, you can work your way to the highest level of heaven, which is the celestial kingdom for all faithful Mormons. The heaven below that is the terrestrial kingdom, a, a little bit better than life here on earth, for people that believe in God but have rejected Mormonism. And for those that have not believed in God, there is a place much worse than here on earth that's called the telestial kingdom. But it's all based on works. Why? Because they've diminished Jesus and who he is and all of the dominoes begin to fall. That's why my desire for all of us is to celebrate the amazing grace of God in this place. That you've been given a free gift paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And just like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, that verse says. It's not the result of works so that no one can boast. That every one of you has received that amazing free gift from God. Christian scientists, similar thing. They see Jesus as a man. He's a wise man, especially in tune to the divine Christ a spirit kind of connection with the supreme being. And that his purpose was to teach humanity to overcome the illusion of pain. That all pain is just an illusion. And Jesus did that. He's an example to us. The Unitarian Church, which basically teaches all paths lead to heaven as long as you're sincere. Well, they see Jesus as a man. He was a great teacher. He was the incarnation, not of God, but of God's love. You want to understand God's love? Hey, Jesus, he lived it out. And his purpose was to demonstrate God's love and teach justice. See, all of these faiths diminish Jesus. And if you're like me, you've been in an airport, maybe out out in a park somewhere, and people have come to you and they start talking to you about spiritual things, and you're like, this doesn't sound right. There's something wrong here. I can tell you the first place you want to ask is who is Jesus to them? Do you believe Jesus is 100% God, eternally existing? Because if they don't, like the angel sent from heaven who teaches another false gospel, let, let that angel be cursed because the stakes are high. It's about eternity. So, Here's another challenge for us. It's to do this. Engage those you encounter along the way. That's what Jesus is basically saying here to Peter. Hey, well, who do you say that I am? And when you do that, know their basic beliefs. I think it's helpful to know what other people believe. Because if you can identify where the core problem is, i.e., diminishing Jesus and who he was, he's just a man, he can't save us, that's where we need to focus. Here's some great questions I want to give you to engage others. That I've used in the past. Question number one. Just ask somebody, who is Jesus to you? I asked that of the dad yesterday. Who is Jesus to you? He said, well, I, I can be honest, with you. I don't believe like you do. And we had a discussion about that. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What do you believe about him? How have you come to that view? People have come to amazing views about Jesus simply because they heard someone, somewhere, say something about Jesus and they latched onto it but they've never really researched it on their own. Here's another great question. What do you believe happens when you die? I've asked people that. What do you believe happens? It helps define what they believe for you. Asking questions is a great way to witness. Here's the third thing. I love this question. If you stood before God and he asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? The number one answer on the family feud board for that question is what? Yeah, I'm a good person. Hey, (laughs) I'm so good. I deserve heaven. Totally contrary to the word of God, right? That we are sinners who need a savior. We've committed disobedience against God. And God made a way when there was no way because he loved us so much. Here's the related view, the related truth to that. Bad theology is dangerous, amen? Bad theology is dangerous. Here's the second thing I see from the text. It's this. The conviction of our beliefs is an essential part of our maturity. May we be people who hold this view and believe it and know why we believe it, that you'd be able to turn to a few verses and say, hey, this is what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Please just call him a, a good man. C.S. Lewis said either Jesus was a liar, a what, a lunatic, or he was who he said he was, the Lord of all. Jesus does not give us the option of calling him just a good man. He was either a great liar, a total lunatic, or lord of all and the option three is best why because he died and rose again and proved that everything he said was true believing that will aid your maturity in christ here's a related truth practical application is imperative like jesus implies with peter who do you say that i am peter disciples what's your answer when they give all these false definitions of me Here's the third thing I see from the text is this. The origin of our transformation is directly from God. I hope you're encouraged like I am that there's a God who's working in your life. That, That he wants to see us come to faith in him. That's what Jesus says here to Peter. He said, blessed are you, Simon Peter, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Peter, God's been working in your life. What you believe is right on. It just proves God's working in your life as he is in all of your lives. He's working in your life. He's with you every day. He knows exactly what you think, where you go, what you do. He loves you enough to get you on the right path to experience that abundant life that Jesus talked about. It's awesome. Now there is an issue here that needs to be addressed. He says this to Peter, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Some see this as a verse that initiates the papacy. A pope being above the whole church, and a person without error who speaks for God. That that's what's being promised here by Jesus. I, I don't believe, as do many others, that that is the case. Let me share with you why. When he says this, hey, you are Peter, he uses the Greek word, or the Greek word in the text is, Petros, which is the masculine form of a, the word rock or small stone. But then he switches it. He says, you are Petros, let's use that pronunciation, but upon this Petros, he changes to the feminine version of the word, which Speaks of a larger rock, a foundation, a bedrock. Upon this Petros, I will build my church. He switches the gender. Let me give you an example of how that could happen in the English language. This is just an example, but it will make it clear. If I said this, you are an emperor, and with this empress, I will accomplish this and this. You would say, oh, Mel talked about the emperor, but with another person, he will accomplish this and that. It's exactly what Jesus does. He switches the gender of the word, which I think makes it incredibly clear that he's not talking about Peter being the foundation on which he will build the church, but the confession that Peter gave that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, well done, man. You are a stone. You are that. You're solid. But on your confession on this bedrock, this bigger thing, as he switches the gender, I'm going to build my church. So what I believe the Bible is clearly teaching here is not a papacy, not a, certainly not a papal su- succession of one pope after another after another. That's nowhere in the Bible. But that we are building on the amazing confession of Jesus. So what Peter is saying here was, was important, but the passage is telling us this. Peter was just a small stone built atop the bedrock of something much bigger than himself, namely the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God put simply, Peter was not the rock, the bedrock. Christ is the rock. And as Peter and the other apostles testified to the truth about Christ, which Peter did in verse 16, the church was built upon this one amazing foundation. In fact, what that's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says this, no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the foundation of the church. And by the way, The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Ephesians 2.20, Paul further explained that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone on which the church is founded. And I hope all of us know that you are the church. It's not a building. I still remember the pastor who was interviewed after the fires, the church building that he pastored in, burned down, and the San Diego reporter went to him and said, oh, pastor, so sorry you lost your church. And he said rightly, he goes, oh, I didn't lose my church. I lost the what? The building. He said, the church are the people. We're going to meet in another building. We'll be fine. We lost the building. You are the church. And by the way, Jesus is not up in heaven saying, hey, we're going to try this church thing. And if it doesn't work out, we're going to plan B. He doesn't say that. This is plan A, and there is no plan B. It's you and me making the same confession about Jesus that Peter did. This is our deep conviction. And in 200, 300, 400 years, Riverview Church and every faithful church that holds to the clear teaching of Jesus will not change. Jesus is the rock. He is the way. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The word in the Greek there is Hades. That's a word that was used in the Old Testament when it was translated into the Greek for the word Sheol. The gates of hell, where departed spirits go, it will not prevail against the church. So the related truth to that is this. Proper grounding keeps us humble. Help us remember that everything we have is a gift from God. He's an awesome giver. You can never, ever outgive God. I don't care what you've gone through. What struggles you've had, you can never outgive God. And here's the last thing I want to share as a close. The power for our task is grounded in the authority of Jesus. Peter has given the keys to the kingdom, not, uh, and it shouldn't be taken the way that some people do. What Jesus is speaking directly to is, and to the other apostles, that they have the right to enter the kingdom themselves. And as they preach this amazing message, they will be opening the kingdom of heaven to all those who receive it and closing it to all those who don't. It's the power of the message of God. And our related truth is this the reassurance that the work is, in, is the Lord's. Hey, folks, here at Riverview Church, we're a family together. My prayer would be that all of us would see each other as co laborers, part of the same body with this amazing light that Jesus has given to us, and to shine that light to people around us. We can do it, we can't fumble the ball. The stakes are high, it's all about eternity. May we hold fast to the truth of who Jesus is. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer today. And as you bow your head before Jesus, remember his words where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there I am in the midst. And Jesus, we know you're right here. Lord, our hearts bow before you. You made us, you created us, you stamped your image upon us, you gave us worth and meaning and purpose And this world all around us is groping in darkness, seeking meaning and purpose. Lord, help us to shine the light that points people to you. Lord, I thank you for your love for us. You've forgiven us. We're sinners saved by your amazing gift, your amazing grace. And so, Lord, we love you today. We pray all of this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song holy there is no one like you there is none beside you open up my eyes in wonder show